Uh, if you're staying in here, we're in Luke uh, chapter 15. We're going to do something ambitious today. We're going to cover an entire chapter of the Bible. How's that sound? Luke 15 is where we're going to be. Uh, we're on a journey right now with Jesus. We're in the middle of it as he makes his way from his ministry in the north down all the way to Jerusalem uh, where he's going to accomplish the purpose for which he has been sent, which is to what? To die in our place on the cross, to be resurrected from the grave so that death no longer has dominion over us. And in this section of Luke, uh, there's about 10 chapters of Jesus' teaching. Jesus' teaching. He's been teaching his disciples. Sometimes he's turned and he's taught to the crowd, as we looked at some in the recent weeks. But today he focuses his teaching on the Pharisees, these religious leaders, these, uh, these men who uh, really had their life really put together, really good at keeping the rules. And that's who he's going to teach to today. Now, these religious leaders, they look good on the outside, but their hearts are hard. Um, and he, so he is going to speak to these religious leaders. He's not speaking to us today. Just kidding. He is. He's speaking to them about their hard hearts and about their attitude towards sinners, their attitude towards the outsiders, and their lack of joy in seeing them move from being lost to being found. So let's look at it. Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Let's read the whole thing. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. That's the context for each of these three stories. Look at verse 3. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he, the father, divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. 
And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to his, his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I've, I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let me pray. God, I thank you that you are a God who leaves no shadow unlit, no mountain unclimbed, no hard heart unsoftened to come and get yours, God. God, we thank you um, that there is no obstacle in the way of you coming to find us who were lost. God, but there's also no obstacle in the way of you coming to entreat us if our heart is hard towards the younger brothers in our life. God, you love us both And you desire that both of us live in relationship with you, God. And so I pray this morning um, that through the good news of the gospel, that there is a Father in heaven who loves us and would pay any price to bring us back to him. Through that, we can be made sons and daughters again. God, I thank you for the goodness and the truth in this passage. And God, help us to understand it and apply it to our own lives. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. All right. So Jesus, again, the context for this, uh, he's sitting around and he's teaching, and uh, it says in verse 1, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. There's this contrast set up immediately. Jesus is not drawing in just the religious, the put together. Who's he drawing in? Some shady characters, right? 
some, some strange people, some, some weirdos who are on the outside who really shouldn't be in this Bible study that's going on, right? He, he, these, are, these are some people that should be out there. And Jesus is drawing them in. Now, the Pharisees don't like this, these religious leaders, because they don't think that Jesus should be eating with them. They don't think that he should be fellowshipping with these kind of people. But this is exactly who Jesus wants to be with. The lost, the wayward, the notorious sinners. And it says in verse 2 that the Pharisees and the scribes, other religious leaders, they grumbled. They grumbled like, like the children of Israel in the wilderness in the Old Testament, grumbling against God. They're grumbling against Jesus. Why? Because he's eating with sinners. He's fellowshipping with tax collectors. They, they, they despise these people. They belong out there. They belong somewhere else, but they don't belong right here with Jesus in their mind. And this is why Jesus tells these three parables. There's so much we can learn from these three parables, right? There's so many kingdom truths and principles, but the primary point of these parables is to address the hard heart of the Pharisees, the hard heart of the older brother. So Jesus is showing them, no, that's not going to be our attitude. So here we go. Look at, let's look at the first one. He tells a story about some sheep, right? And we just sang a song about it. Uh, but he says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Now, I don't have sheep. I don't have an open country. I've never lost a sheep. Jesus asked this question as if it's obvious. You leave the sheep and you go after the one, right? This seems very obvious in this text. Again, I know nothing about sheep, so I don't think that would be obvious to me to go after the one when I already have 99. But Jesus is not like me, right? So Jesus says, any of you who lost a sheep would do anything to go and find it. Why? Because that one sheep has immense value. That one sheep has value. And it's worth going after and finding, right? And so he tells this story that he, he goes after and he does whatever it takes until he finds it. Now, verse 5, it says, When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, verse 6, he calls together his friends, his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Now, I don't know about you, but this just doesn't connect with me. I don't know that I would call you, my friends, together over one lost sheep. I just don't know. I'm not just not that social, okay? So I don't really want to get together over one lost sheep. But Jesus makes it very clear here that that would be normal. This would be a normal thing, to rejoice together over one lost sheep. Right? The proper response to finding something that is lost and wayward is rejoicing, is celebration. But it's not true rejoicing, true celebration is not just personal. It's, it's with others. Last night, we went bowling as a family in Nacogdoches. And uh, my sweet little Hudson uh, was real excited to maybe get a strike. He didn't, I don't think. Did he get a strike? No, I don't think so. But there was a point where... I did something. I think I got a spare, right? I knocked down that one pin, and I turned around, and my six-year-old little son did this move right here, and it just blessed my father's heart. He went, let's go! 
And I've never seen him do this before. But he flexed, and he stuck out his chest, and he was celebrating with me because of what I did. And I had this moment as a dad of like, wow, this is good. This is good, right? Celebration, rejoicing is meant to be shared. Like if he was big enough, we would have chest bumped in that moment. But we decided not to. I can't wait for that day. This is, <laughs> I just thought of that as I stood up here. This is incredibly biblical. This is the godly perspective of the kingdom of God. In the New Testament, Paul says it this way, that we rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. We're meant to share this all together. This rejoicing. Look at verse 7. It says, just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. This is why Jesus came, to rescue the sinners, to bring the lost into a state of being found, to go after the wayward. Again, we've said it over and over through Luke. This is the good news for everyone, the outsiders, the excluded, the marginalized. And Jesus says there's more joy in heaven over that sinner being found than 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, this is irony. (laughs) Are there 99 righteous persons who need no repentance? No. (laughs) But there are 99 righteous persons who think they don't need repentance. And who's Jesus talking about? The Pharisees. He's saying, you sit there thinking you've completely obeyed and you're, you're just perfect and you're just the golden child in front of God. And he's saying, there's more joy in heaven over that sinner who got saved, that one who was lost being found, than there is over you who think you deserve this. And that's why Jesus is telling the story to attack their hard heart. Let's look at the next one, verse 8. Maybe sheep aren't your thing. Maybe coins are your thing. It says, What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she, found, when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, this, this lady, these silver coins are not like quarters. Don't think a quarter. How many of you would turn your house over for a quarter? Probably not very many of us. This is more like a day's wage. She lost a paycheck. Right? We might turn our house over to find a paycheck. Anybody lost something recently that you just couldn't find and finally found it recently? I know Connie has. She was telling me a story. It's so frustrating. Like, I know I had that. It was right here. And this woman, she's lost 10 of them. She has 10 of them. She's lost one. And so she does whatever. She moves the furniture. She vacuums under the couch. She retraces her steps. She searches until she finds it. And what happens when she finds that which was lost? She rejoices. Just like the man with his sheep. Just like Hudson in the bowling alley. Let's go. She is filled with joy and celebration. And true joy and true celebration spills over into shared joy and shared celebration with our community. And so she invites her friends over to celebrate with her. And Jesus makes this point that 
There's, there's an earthly reality to this, that when a sinner repents and, and is saved and the lost are found here on earth, there's a heavenly reality that also goes on at the same time. And he says, there was more joy before the angels of God when a sinner repents. There's more joy in heaven. Not only are we celebrating that, but God is celebrating that every time. And he's speaking to these Pharisees' hearts who were just like, man, did they have to be here? Did, did, did these people really need to be around you, Jesus? And Jesus is saying, no, you don't understand. You've totally missed it. The last story, and it's the most length, and, let's, and we'll spend our most time on it. But it follows the same pattern. Somebody has something of great value. That something of great value is lost. That something that was lost is found and restored. And then there is great rejoicing over the lost being found. It's not a sheep or a coin. This time it's a son. And specifically, there's two sons, right? There's an older son and a younger son. And as you've heard many preachers before, as you've studied this in life, you're like, how many of you, this is your very first time to hear this story? Yeah, that's what I thought. There's two sons. And the father has these two sons, an older and a younger. And the younger comes to him and says he wants his inheritance. And as you know, the father is not dead because he's speaking to him. And so in essence, this younger son is saying, Father, I wish you were dead and I just had your stuff. I'm ready to be done with this relationship and I'm ready to just move on with the inheritance. He's wishing his father dead and for some reason, this father obliges. He goes along with it. You know, this son would have gotten about a third of his wealth. The father cashes out, and he gives him about a third of his money. And it says in verse 13 that the younger, uh, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. Not only did he wish him dead, he wanted massive separation between him and the father. He, he didn't just want his stuff. He wanted nothing to do with his father. And it says that while he's away, it says it here, he squandered his property in reckless living. You can fill in the blanks with what that reckless living is. And the older brother does later. He says prostitutes and parties and carousing and extravagant whatever. Who knows? This kid's got a windfall of cash. He's just living it up. We often call this the prodigal son, right? And I think in our mind, prodigal means like kind of the wayward son. That's not what prodigal means. Prodigal means lavish, lavish, uh, uh, exorbitant, spending a lot, right? And so that's what he's doing when he's on in this far country. He is lavishly spending money. He's, modern terms, he's making it rain, okay? He is lavishly spending. He's the prodigal son. The only problem with lavish spending is that it doesn't last forever. And eventually, it runs out at the same time, he finds himself in this country where there's a severe famine, often viewed as God's judgment on people. And I think he felt that in this moment, right? This is God's judgment on me. He was in great 
need. He had no money. He had no network of family or anything. He's all alone. And so he goes and he hires himself out to feed pigs. Unclean animals despised in the eyes of the Jews. They wouldn't have even had pigs, let alone they definitely wouldn't have fed them and worked them. He's at the bottom of the bottom. And he is in such need that he longs to eat what the pigs are eating. I don't know a lot about pigs, but I know that they eat some nasty stuff. And if he's that hungry, he's in a bad, bad spot. He is the definition of lost. And he is the definition of isolated from his father. And in that pig pit, whatever pigs live in, it's not a pit, whatever. Pig sty, is that the word? Pig pen, pen, there it is. In that pig pen, he has a moment of clarity. Verse 17, it says he came to himself. He thought about his life and he went, wait, this doesn't make any sense. Why am I here? I'm only here because of my bad choices. And he thinks of his father's house and he thinks of the servants and the food. And I don't know if they were rich, that's not the point, but they had enough. And he thinks of that, and he longs to go back. But in, he knows that if he goes back, he has to deal with his biggest mistake that he's ever made. He has to own up to what he said to his father, that I, basically, I wish you were dead. I want nothing to do with you. So he hatches this plan, right? He says, I'm going to go back. I'm going to apologize. I'm going to own this. But, but I'm going to make a deal with him, and I don't, I don't need to be a son. That's okay. I just want to be a servant. I just want to be anything but feeding pigs, right? I'm going to go back, and maybe he'll take me. So he begins the journey back. And, and I think Jesus tells us these details because I think we're meant to expect that that's what would happen. That the father would be so angry with him, so frustrated by him, that he would take up this deal and go, yeah, you can come back, but you've got to work this off for seven years. Or you've got to pay the family back. I think that's, that would have been an expected end to this story. And so what happens is unbelievable. Verse 20. It says, and he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The father doesn't wait for the son to come and offer a, a plea bargain or a, or a contract or some sort of apology and stick it to him. No, the father sees him far off and he does something totally against norm and he runs. He, he feels compassion for his son who he thought was dead. And he runs to him to go find him. The father isn't worried about the sin that's been committed against him. He'll deal with that later. He's just thrilled and overjoyed that one of his sons has come back home. His prodigal son who has lavishly spent all his money has come back home. And the father doesn't go along with the plan. He doesn't agree for him to be a servant. What does it say? Verse 22. 
He doesn't go along with this. He says, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. The father spares no expense. This fattened calf was only saved for the most important uh, celebrations. He goes all out to show his love and his forgiveness. Uh, Tim Keller uh, has a book called The Prodigal God, and he writes about this story. And he makes the point that actually the father is the prodigal, the one who lavishes more than even the son. Right? The son lavishly wasted all of his money in reckless spending, but the father lavishes his love and his forgiveness, and we sing it in a, in, it may, you may not like it, I don't know, don't care, it, we sing it, the, the reckless love of God, and some may look at that and go, that doesn't make sense, God's love's not reckless. It is right here. The father's love's a little bit reckless to love this wayward prodigal son that much, to lavish that much on him. But that's what the father does. He lavishes his grace on the lost son. Why? Verse 23, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. That's what we do when lost things are found. We rejoice. We celebrate. When dead things come to life, when orphans are adopted, when the outsiders are welcomed in, we rejoice with those who rejoice. And it's not just ourselves that overflows into others. This is what the kingdom of God is meant to be like. And that point is made. And he's speaking to these Pharisees with these hard hearts. And then he turns and he begins to talk about the older son. It says the older son's out in a field. He's not there when the younger son comes back. But he hears the dancing. He hears the singing. He hears the noises of a celebration going on. And so he asks, what is going on? And maybe in his mind, he has this moment where he thinks, man, maybe my father finally recognizes how much I do for him. Maybe he's putting a little surprise thing together for me, right? So he asks, and what does he hear? Verse 27, the servant tells him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. To the older brother's disappointment, this party is not for him. It's for his brother who abandoned their family, who left it all, who wished his father dead. Wait, what? You are throwing a party for him? He walked out on us. And the older brother can't fathom why God, well, I'm sorry, why the father would do this. And it says in verse 28, he was angry and refused to go in. He's not just disappointed that the party's not for him. His heart is angry. He's angry at his younger brother for what he did. He's angry at his father for welcoming him back, for showing grace, for showing forgiveness. And he says, I'm not, I'm not going to celebrate this. And it says in verse 28, and this is the verse that stood out to me the most as I studied it, his father came out and entreated him. 
The father doesn't just care for the young son. The father cares about the older son too. He came out to entreat him, to convince him, to win him back. Now the younger son is back, but the older son is estranged because he doesn't want any part of the family. That's not what the father wants. The father wants his children together. And so he goes to try to soften his heart. He goes to try to entreat him and win him back. But the older brother has none of it. And he answers in verse 29. He says, look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. The older brother views himself as God's gift to this family. That he is the greatest thing that's ever come along. I've never disobeyed you. Yeah, right, dude. I've never done anything wrong. He has such a high view of himself and such a low view of his younger brother because of his actions. In his mind, he has earned the right to be a son. And his brother has earned every right to be treated as a slave. He, de- he feels as if he deserves something more from his father for how great he is. And he highlights that at verse 30. He says, This son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. The older brother is hard-hearted towards his younger brother. He views himself as righteous and put together and his younger brother is broken and and terrible and he says you wasted the fattened calf on him you didn't even give me a goat and the father says verse 31 son you are always with me and all that is mine is yours the father reminds him you are a son You are my son, and everything that I have is yours. Everything that you ever have had is because of me, right? And you think it's because of you? You think it's because of what you've done? He says, no, all that is mine is yours. You are with me. And he says in verse 32, the punchline, to the Pharisees, here's what he says. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost, and he is found. Just like the coin, just like the sheep. It is fitting and right to celebrate when something lost is found. When something that was dead or presumed dead comes back to life. It's fitting to celebrate privately, but it's more fitting to celebrate in a community. And Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees who are doing what? grumbling that this man eats with sinners. And he tells these stories to point out, Pharisees, you're so caught up in being good, in earning your your position with God, in thinking that you are who you are because of you, not because of God's grace in your life. And you think those who are sinners, those who are outsiders, are so much worse than you, and they don't deserve anything to be any part of this family. He says, no. That one sheep, that one coin, that one son is worth way more celebration in heaven than you 99 who don't even think that you need me. 
Man, what a story. We don't get the Pharisees' response, probably because there was none. What do you say to that? What do you say to a message like that? But, Lord, forgive me for my hard heart. Do they do that? Probably not. Because they're going to kill him in a few months. Their hearts are further hardened. I think for us today, there's a few ways this applies and then we'll be done. First, what is our attitude towards those who are outsiders, lost, the sinners and tax collectors of our day? We don't have tax collect, well we do, but you know, this is not about IRS agents. What is our view towards those who have been prodigal with their life, who have lavishly wasted it and spent on all sorts of things besides, do we think, man, those people are just yuck. We're going to keep our distance. Do we think, no, they don't belong in our fellowship. No, they don't belong. No, God's grace can't really overcome that. And we would never say that out loud, but it's probably in some of our hearts that we have a hard heart to these prodigal sons. Our attitude is meant to be like the prodigal father, lavishly extending grace, lavishly spending mercy and forgiveness, welcoming in the stranger, welcoming in the notorious sinners. So first, I think we have to think about our attitude towards outsiders. Second, how do we respond when others are rejoicing or weeping, right? There's so much emphasis here on the community, on the, the togetherness, on the, the family and the, the bond that's shared between friends and family over the lost being found. As part of Christian community, we're meant to rejoice with each other when things are good. And we're meant to weep with each other when things are bad. I think that's something else we can learn. But I think more than anything else... What we need to learn is that our life follows the same pattern. The good news of the gospel in our lives who have been redeemed and saved in Christ follows the same pattern. That there was a man, there was a father who had something valuable. It was us. We were created with worth and value and God desired to live in that relationship with us. But that something that was valuable was lost each one of us has sinned. Each one of us has cursed God and said, I'd rather have your stuff than a relationship with you. We said, no, I don't want any part of you, and we tried to get as far away from him as possible. That which was valuable now is lost. But God loved us so much that he went to find that which was lost. That something that was lost was eventually found and Jesus Christ came to do that. He came to rescue us. He came on a journey to go and find us who were lost, the one. Why? Because we had value and we had worth. And one day and today, there is great rejoicing here and in heaven over the lost who are found. One day, every one of us who is in Christ will be together in heaven with the Father, celebrating with the fattened calf. Why? Not because of us. Not because we stuck around, because we did all this great stuff for the Father. No, because the Son came and rescued us. That's the gospel, the good news.
It's not based on anything we've done. It's only based on what Jesus has done. Let me pray. God, I thank you for the good news of the gospel, and I thank you for salvation. God, thank you that you loved prodigal sons and daughters like us who ventured off on our own and wished you dead and wanted your stuff more than we wanted a relationship with you. God, I thank you that you did not see us from afar and stand there and wait. God, but you came running to us. You overcame whatever obstacle it would take to find us and rescue us, God. And you're doing that for some today, even today, God. You're rescuing some from a life of sin and death, God, with no hope and no purpose. God, I pray that if someone in here is lost, that they would hear the good news that Jesus came to save them and rescue them. I pray that they would put their faith in him and trust in him for salvation. Uh, and so we love you, God. I thank you for today. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.